0: All right. I want to thank you for joining us this morning. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 46. The title of our message today is, We Will Not Fear. And you'll see that in the verses. We read those in just a few moments. We will not fear. You know, in this day and age, there's a lot of fear going around, obviously, with the circumstances that we're all in we've been dealt, and some are going through greater fear than others, and some aren't dealing with any fear whatsoever. But usually somewhere along the way in life, you know, whether it's in our present time or somewhere else down the line, we will experience some type of fear through the circumstances that we're going through, and uh, God addresses this in Psalm 46. So if you would take your Bibles, Psalm chapter number 46, says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. There's the title for our message. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Salem, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Salem. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth, who makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Say, Father, bless this reading and preaching and teaching of the word of God. Penetrate our hearts. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Cause us to be more like Jesus as we pray all, all the time, Lord. We want to be changed, become more like you. Teach us, transform us challenge us, convict us. Lord, may we be obedient to the word of God today we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We will not fear. Fear began in the garden. I think most of us probably remember Adam and Eve were in the garden. They took of the tree of the uh, uh, knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't take of that tree. But they did anyway. And uh, so what did they do? They Their eyes were open, Scripture says. They realized they were naked and they, they covered themselves and they hid from God, then who comes walking down the trail? Here comes God. Adam, where are you? Remember that? He's calling out for Adam in Genesis chapter number three. And Adam comes out and he says, Lord, I heard your voice. And I was what? He said, I was afraid. You know, that, that doesn't seem right, does it? When you hear the voice of God, that ought to be inviting. That ought to be something where you just, you're just you longing to hear. But in this particular instance, because of his sin, he was in fear. I heard your voice and I was afraid. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we can definitely say that if we are in fear for things or in fear because of things, whether they've happened or not, we can say that that is definitely not from God because God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has given us a spirit of faith. And you know, faith and fear, they, they don't go together. They simply don't. They're like oil and water. To be in fear is to have a lack of faith. Let me say that again. To be in fear is to have a lack of faith. Peter, remember him when the guys were out on the Sea of Galilee and the the waves were just pounding the ship and the wind was blowing and uh, they were in fear for their lives. And this is happening, you know, very early in the morning and Jesus comes out to them walking on the water. And Peter demonstrated great faith. What did he do? Remember that? He said, Lord, if it's really you, allow me to come out on the water. Lord, help me to get out of this boat, come out on the water, and walk towards you. And Jesus said, come on. you know. I mean, it took great faith just for him to ask that question. How many of us would have thought of asking that question? Let me walk on the water to you. I'm not sure that I would have. So that was pretty bold of Peter to do that. And he gets out of the boat, and he's walking on the water, and he's walking towards Jesus, but then Peter begins to see the waves crashing. Maybe he's feeling the wave crash up against his, his, his knee or his, his ankles. Maybe he's beginning to feel the wind blow his outer garment or to his, the wind blowing his through his hair, his beard. Or maybe he's, and he's, all of a sudden, his focus is off of Jesus. And that's on everything else. And what did that cause? It brought fear. In fact, Peter began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And of course, the Lord saved him. And when he got into the boat, after Peter went through this episode of great fear, thinking he was going to die, and asking Jesus to save him, Jesus gets him in the boat, and what did Jesus say to him? Oh, you of little faith. Faith and fear don't go together. Fear. Oh, you of little faith. Faith and fear simply do not go together. Fear is a lack of faith someone once said fear knocked on the door faith answered and no one was there that's kind of a cool thought to think about because when you're living by faith you don't have to worry about fear you know we fear a lot of things obviously you know the circumstance we're in right now the coronavirus pandemic uh thousands upon thousands have lost their lives you know and uh, that's that's sad and we, we we fear that we fear that we, we hope that it doesn't happen to us or any of our family members we don't want it to go uh, on to happen to anybody else who want this thing to come to an end right now but a lot of people are living in fear L- loss of their life loss of their health maybe loss of a family member uh, living in fear because they lost their job where's the money going to come from how am I going to pay the mortgage how am I going to pay the light bill how am I going to keep the water running? how am I going to put food on the table for the kids You know. and so there, there's a lot of fear out there maybe you're—maybe it's not that maybe you're living in fear of a, in waiting on a, a doctor's report is it cancer or is it not cancer Maybe you're living in fear because you, your children have graduated high school or they're about to graduate high school and you fear that they're going to leave the Lord. They're going to leave the church once they get out. That's, I understand I understand. We As parents, we're, we all think those kinds of things. Maybe you're living in fear because you don't know what the future holds. This is why scripture says don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Take care of today. Live for God today. Trust him today. But nonetheless, God says in verse number two of Psalm forty-six, "We will not fear." The sons of Korah that wrote this; these sons of Korah that were these were Levites who served in the temple. They're writing this psalm here—the psalm that would have been sung in the temple, sung in the, the synagogues, sung and known by the Jewish people. And He's making a point here: we're not going to fear. You know, uh, many of you, I'm sure, have. Uh, taking a plane flight, I'm, I'm sure I've used this illustration before, uh, and you're on that plane flight, and everything seems to be going well, you know? And then all of a sudden, you kind of feel a little a little bump. You know what I'm talking about? You feel that bump in the air. And if you're sitting by a window, you look out that window, and you can kind of see the, the wings even maybe even bouncing up and down, right? And all of a sudden, fear begins to set in a little bit. All of a sudden, that, that bumping becomes more numerous. And all of a sudden, before you know it, that the, the, the plane is going up and now all of a sudden, it drops. It just feels like it drops 100 feet, right? And you're just, by that time, you're grabbing the the rails next to you, the armrest next to you, and you're getting all white-knuckled with those things, and you're afraid. You're wondering, what's going to happen to are we going to survive this, right? But then you hear this sound. boom! Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We realize we've just uh, experienced a little bit of turbulence, and uh, we're going to adjust our altitude and our airspeed. We're going to get you out of this. Everything's going to be just fine. Just relax and we'll be out of this in a few moments. And then all of a sudden, what do you do? What do I do? <sighs> we relax a little bit, don't we? Why? Because the captain of the ship spoke up. The captain who's flying the plane reassures you and reassures me that everything's going to be alright. Also, that fear kind of vanishes. In this particular song right here, God says, We will not fear. The sons of Corinth say, We will not fear. This particular psalm, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he called it the Psalm of Holy Confidence. Confidence in, uh, in God. The great reformer, Martin Luther, in the 17th century, wrote a song in reference to this song. Many of you have heard it before. A mighty fortress is our God. He had certainty that he did not have to fear. Today, what I want to share with you is I want to share with you three reasons why we ought not fear. You may be living in fear today. I want to assure you that God has a plan. God is sovereign and in control, and he's all-powerful, and he knows about your situation, and therefore you do not have to live in fear. Let's look at these verses here as we look through these three reasons. Reason number one is this. God's proclamation covers the worst-case scenario. God's proclamation, do not fear, covers the worst case scenario. We see in our first three verses here, we see the word refuge, strength, and present help. Very present help. Refuge, that means it's a a place to run to. Probably in reference to, uh, in Israel at that time, there were six cities of refuge. And what those cities were for was if someone accidentally killed somebody. You know, it was, it was purely an accident. They didn't show any hatred. There was no malice. Uh, maybe they were cutting down a tree and this person happened to be walking in the path of a falling tree and that person died. Well, in those days, the other family members could strike vengeance on the person who killed that loved one. So if that person was totally innocent, he would run to a city of refuge. And that city would protect him and he could not be touched as long as he was in that city of refuge, and while in the city of refuge, they would uh, have a a fair trial, and determine, oh, this was an accident. There's no malice here, there's no hatred here. This was purely an accident, and uh, that particular person would be absolved of this particular incident. God says here, run to me, and you won't be touched. I'll protect you, I will care for you, I will watch for you, I'm proclaiming right now, if you do not want to live in fear, Run to me. God is our refuge and our strength. God is strong. God is strong for them. God's strength lies within them, he says here. You run to me. You come to me as a refuge, and you realize my strength can take care of you, can uphold you with my righteous right hand because I am so strong and so much stronger than everybody on the planet put together. You run to me, I'll show you my strength. This is why uh, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has given us a spirit of what? Power. Strength. Right? And he says here, also God proclaims, I am a very present help in time of trouble. God, he's not just help. And he's just not present help. He is very present help. Did you catch the wording there? God is saying, inside, I'm help for the inside. I'm help for your soul. I'm help for your spirit. I'm, I'm help when you're, you're experiencing that anxiety on the inside and that hurt on the inside. I'm your help. But not only that, I'm help on the outside too. I'm help with the physical stuff. I'm help with the things that may come your way every day. I'm very present help. I'm help for the body. I'm help for the soul. And not just help and not just present help, but I'm a very present help. God's saying I'll always be right there if you'll run to me as a refuge. You don't have to fear. God will help immediately. God will help thoroughly. And God will help effectively. I think it's interesting in all of those uh, thoughts right there. If you look at verse number 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength of very present help and trouble. Drop down to verse number 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Again, he reassures us. And in verse number 11, he says the same thing over again. So really, three times he says, I am with you even in the worst circumstances. Now, if you look at verses 2 and 3, there's a pretty good listing there of some pretty bad circumstances. Look at it. He says, Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, the mountains be uh, carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. I'll tell you, you can't get any worse than that. God says, listen, even if the mountains are carried into the midst of the sea, if there's this massive, Worldwide earthquake and all the mountains just crumble and they just go right into the sea. Or there's a huge tsunami, Noah's flood. A huge tsunami that's coming and gulps the mountains. Or the, the, the waters break up from underneath the, the ground and just gush up and, the, and the, the rains come down like in Noah's flood. God said, I've got that too. He says, whenever the waters roar in trouble trouble, the floods that may come. You know, we've seen in our country and around the world, these massive flash floods that take place. Mountains shake with its swelling. In other words, like volcanic-type activity. When you think about mountain swelling, all that pressure is building up underneath, and sooner or later, it's going <clears> to <throat> explode everywhere, right? He says, listen, even in the worst-case scenario, even if the earth is removed, I got this. I'm your refuge. I'm your strength. I'm your help doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what your situation is. God is there to be your refuge strength, and strengthen your help. But, well, I'm a little bit of a Star Wars, Star Trek kind of nut. I don't go to conventions or anything like that. I don't know some people do that. That's, that's fine, whatever whatever they like to do. But uh, I, I like watching the movies. And one of my favorite scenes is one of the recent uh, Star Wars movies that came out, The Last Jedi. And uh, the scene is basically where the rebel forces are hiding out in this mountain that uh, where they had an established a, a cave, uh, a hideout fortress earlier, and it had, had abandoned it, but it went back to it. Was just a few of them left, and they're wondering what they're going to do. And the bad guys, the imperial forces, come in, and their their leader uh Palo Ren, he comes in, and they blow a hole in the side of that mountain to expose them, so they could get in there and, and just destroy everybody. Let's end this whole thing. Let's be done with it. And then as that happens. All of a sudden, someone walks through that cave, and it's Luke Skywalker. And Luke stops and says a few words to his sister, Leah, and he says, it's going to be all right. I'll take care of it. And he he walks out, and he faces Kylo Ren, who he trained to be a Jedi, right? And you've got all these armored vehicles that are out there, these all-terrain armored transport vehicles that are there with their guns geared up on that particular spot, and Kylo Ren says, oh, on all our forces to focus on Luke Skywalker. I want every gun I want every everything I want focused on him, fire. And then you see and they're just blowing him up and Luke's just standing there and you see smoke everywhere and you see dust and rocks and everything's flying everywhere and then he screams out more you know and then the guns just keep firing and then he screams out again more and they keep firing you know and then finally one of Kyler runs to says I think we got him. I think listen stop this we got this it's over. So they call off the firing and all of a sudden the guns lower they stop. The dust begins to dissipate. The rocks are falling to the ground. The dust settles and who's standing there? Luke Skywalker. And he looks right at them and he goes he just flips his shoulder like that's nothing. That's nothing. Of course we know now through the movie that that was a holographic image but still nonetheless the point here is this. God looks at everything that we have, everything that we go through, even if the earth is removed. He looks at coronavirus. He looks at all the things that you'll go through in your lifetime. And you know what God says about that? That's nothing. That's nothing. God proclaims that he covers the worst case scenario. He's got all of this covered. It doesn't matter what's going on in life. God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our very present help. In time of trouble. We need to learn to run to Him. But also, secondly, not only is there's a proclamation, there's God's invitation. Verses 4 and 5, verses 8 and 9. God's invitation communicates the hope to come. Now, first of all, I want you to look at verse number 8. Verse number 8. It says, come, behold the works of the Lord. There, there's, there's the invitation right there. Come. God invites. He says, come and see. Come and see what? Come and see the works. Come and see what God has done. Come and see what God is doing. God's invitation communicates the hope to come in this particular psalm. And if we look through the psalm, we'll look at several things here. He invites them to come and look at the enjoyment of refreshing waters. Chapter 4, verse number 1. There is a stream, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. Come enjoy the refreshing waters of this stream. Come and take part in it. Uh, this may be a reference back to Genesis chapter 2, verse number 10, where scripture says that there was a river flowing in and out of the Garden of Eden. It may also be a reference to Revelation chapter 22. When it speaks of a river there in the kingdom of God, Revelation chapter number 22, verses 1 and 2. Look what scripture says. And he, John is speaking here, he says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. God invites you to come. Come and enjoy. Come and and not be in fear. He invites you to come and enjoy the refreshing waters, those rivers, those streams that make glad the city of God did you catch that in verse number four they bring joy it's life giving water it's healing water it's peaceful waters it's secure waters in the city of God obviously here in the because of when this passage is written, it's probably referred to the, the city of Jerusalem but we also know that the the new Jerusalem one day will come down God is saying listen I'm inviting you to come and enjoy these refreshing waters not just now in this present life but also those that are about to come in the future when the new Jerusalem comes down as well but not only enjoy refreshing waters but experience the presence of holiness the latter part of verse number 4 the holy place of the tabernacle of the most high God is in the midst of her come God invites, oh, please come. Come and enjoy holiness, enjoy righteousness, enjoy perfection. Come and join me in my holiness and my brightness and the glory of God, the perfection of kindness and love and compassion and forgiveness and mercy and grace and everything that there is perfect about God To and, and everything is perfect about God to come and enjoy that he invites us to come and behold him behold his works and if we'll do that you will not and I will not live in fear God invites us come enjoy the refreshing waters enjoy or experience the presence of his holiness come he invites us To establish rock-solid saints. Rock-solid saints. Establish your worth and your value in Jesus Christ. The latter part of verse number five says, and she, referring to believers, the people of God, she shall not be moved. You won't be moved when you're in the presence of God. There's nothing else that you want when we're in the presence of God. You know why do why do we chase after this and chase after that and chase after worldly things and, and what the world has to offer and, and this pleasure and that pleasure and the other. Why do we chase after those things? Probably because we are either it, we are either not in the presence of God currently or we have not been in the presence of God recently. But when we're in the presence of God, God establishes us so that we're not moved. Psalm 16, 8. Write that verse down. Psalm 16, 8. I have the Lord always before me, the psalmist says, David, because he is my right hand and I shall not be moved. David says, I'm not going to be moved. Why? Because God's always before me. Paul mentioned uh Briefly, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 58. He encouraged the believers of Corinth to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor of the Lord is not in vain. Boy, God invites us to come to be established, to be rock-solid saints, to be at his feet and to be uh, uh, in his glory. He also invites us to espy eternal victory despite eternal victory. Look at verses 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What works? Who has made desolations in the earth? Who makes wars cease to the end of the earth? Who breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two? He burns the chariot in the fire. God brings that final peace that we all long for. God brings finality to all of the mess that we're experiencing, and he brings peace when we are in his presence. Here, he says the wars are going to cease. The instruments of war are destroyed. I love the, the imagery here. He breaks the bow. I can, I'm just imagining God taking the bow and, and just taking it. You know, we probably couldn't do this, but God just goes, and it's breaking it in half. He takes the, the spear and he breaks it in two. I can imagine God just taking spears, you know, and just going, just breaking it over his knee, kind of like. I don't know. Bo Jackson breaking a bat over his leg, you know, or over his head. You know, uh, I'm thinking here. God should say, "No more war." He's looking to the future. He's looking to hope. And what God's saying here is, if you'll come and trust me as your refuge and your strength and your help, and I'm inviting you to come and, and worship with me and to be with me, I have a hope that you'll be able to see and, in, and just to take into your spirit that's going to bless. Your life, and you're not going to want to leave my presence. And all of a sudden, when we're in God's presence, you know what happens to fear? <laughs> it flees. Not only is it God's invitation that communicates the hope to come, and God's proclamation that says He's got it all covered, every worst case scenario. Thirdly and lastly, God's direction settles everything. God's direction settles everything. Look at what the verses number 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Say Be still and know that I am God. This particular the, the Hebrew grammar here makes it an imperative. It's a command. First God says come First God says proclaim, he proclaims something, and then he says, hey, come, he invites. But now he's saying, now that you're in my presence, be still, be still, be still. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. What's God saying there? God's saying, be still and understand something. I'm God and I win. I'm God. I win. I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I think of when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem on the donkey and and, uh, just picturing the scene of hundreds upon hundreds, maybe even thousands of people just gathering around and shouting and laying down their palm branches and their their outer coats and everything on the ground, like you would for a king. And I remember the, the religious leaders. Remember what they did? They they called out to Jesus. I believe it's in Book of Luke. They called out to him, and they said, "Tell your people to stop this. Tell them to stop praising you. Tell them to stop declaring that you are the king and praise and hosanna to the king of the Jews." And, and Jesus, you know, Jesus, you know, Jesus was a normal person. He had emotions and, and those kinds of things. And I can imagine Jesus. on on that mule or on that donkey just looking at them and smiling and saying I can't if they stopped the very creation around us would just shout my praise and they would be screaming Hosanna, Lord save us I can imagine him just saying that to them with a big smile on his face I can imagine that he was telling them you know what I will be exalted I am God I am the king of the Jews, as they say. And if they don't say it, all of creation is going to scream it. And trust me, you don't want that. Be still. Be still. You know, to be still before God, that's a tough thing. That's a tough task sometimes. To be still, you've got to be intentional about it. You've got to decide in your spirit, you know what, I'm going to take time. I will make time to be still before You have to be intentional about it. But it's not just being intentional about it. It's also being directed and focused. It's one thing to get away and to be in a quiet place. It's another thing to be in that quiet place and now my focus is going to be on the Lord. It's got to be intentional, but it's got to be directional. Not just away from all the noise of life, but rather in the presence of the King. I want to share with you four quick thoughts here just and they all start with the letter S you may say pastor how can I how can I be still and know that he's got them? you know these four things they're going to run totally against our grain totally against our grain but let me give you four ideas number one they all start with the letter S number one stop stop right away Somebody right you around there are going wait 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 stop stop you want me to stop how can I stop I got so much to do that's your problem stop often we don't want to stop or often we can't stop. You know, many of you today uh, are, are home with your families. Uh, maybe you ha- are working from home. Or maybe maybe you lost your job. I don't know. Maybe you're having to teach your kids at home. But the regular things that we would normally do, we're not doing. I mean, think about it for a moment. With this whole crisis that we're going through, God has a lot, a lot of things to be taken away. This is why I believe God's trying to get our attention. He's taken away pro sports. Yes. He's taken away the restaurants. He's taken away the parks. He's taken away the family events and the outings that we could go to. And, you know, we could go on with the, list here, movies. All those things that we like to enjoy doing as Americans, those things have been taken away because of this pandemic. So one would think that we should have, as a family and as individuals, we should have a whole lot more time on our hands, right? To spend time with God, to commune with God, to be still before God. I wonder if that's how we approach it, sometimes we just got to learn to stop and be still. Don't fill the void of the things you're no longer doing with things, other things that you could be doing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing the things that you're doing, but I'm saying if God is left out of the picture, something's wrong. Sometimes we just got to say, you know what, I'm going to stop and I'm going to spend time with God. This is where intentionality comes into play. But I only stop, number two, solitude solitude, not just stopping but getting someplace by yourself, wives you may need to ask the husband, hey take care of the kids or vice versa, maybe husbands you need to ask the wife, hey I need to get away with the Lord for a little while you know and I'm sure that they will understand that the solitude getting away by yourself to a place, you know, we, we sometimes as Christians we talk about our prayer closets, well it literally might be your closet it might be a place where there's nothing else, you know uh, for me, uh, obviously being here at the church, it helps me. Uh, these past many days, I've been spending time right here at this auditorium. In my office, no phone calls, no nothing, nobody and' it's, it's been I've really enjoyed it. at my own home that I have a family room because there's a couple of couches that are there and it's in there when usually before folks wake up in the mornings. But being alone with God stop and then there's solitude and thoroughly stay. Stay. In other words, don't be distracted. How many of y'all get distracted? One, and squirt! You know, that's that's our mentality, right? The smallest little thing. It's amazing how the, the entire house can be totally quiet, and then you start hearing things that you would normally never hear. For instance, if the ceiling fan is going, and the chain hanging down the ceiling fan is twirling while the fan is going, and you can hear it clanging. You'd never hear that before, but you hear it there. Or maybe you hear the clock in the kitchen, You, you would never would have heard that before. But now that it's quiet, there's that distraction. You know, you want to get to a place where there are no distractions. You don't want to be distracted. You want to stay. Stay focused. Stay there. Maybe your phone is a distraction. Put it uh, in another room. Put it on silent. Maybe your computer is a distraction. Okay, well then your place of solitude does not need to be where the computer is. Read that or that either turn the computer off or, or put the laptop away or whatever the case may be. Maybe the the, the distraction, and I, you know, what I mean by this, but maybe it's the kids. Maybe the kids just, you just need to get away again. Husbands, wives, working together, and, and maybe them, uh, one or the other taking the kids. But being able to stay, the remote, you know, that's a big one for me. I cannot have my time with God and being still with God in front of the TV. Even if it's off, I know the remote's sitting right there, and then I go, well, you know, I think I'll check the weather. Well, you know, I think I'll check the news. Well, you know, I think I'll check the, the, who won the ball game last night, you know, or whatever, you know, I feel like I got to do that. So I can't be in there. But find that place, that place of solitude where you will stay and not be distracted. And fourthly, stop, solitude, stay, and then finally, silence. Be quiet before the Lord. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah has just defeated the prophets of Baal. But yet he's on the run. He's fleeing from Jezebel. And he hides out in this cave on Mount Horeb. And God speaks to him and says, what are you doing in here? And Elijah begins to speak. And then God says, you know what? You need to get outside of this cave onto the mountain so I can speak to you. And then as he goes there, we see that God allows and God sends earthquakes. but Then it says, you know what? The Lord was not in the earthquake. It says that the Lord sent a great wind and pieces of rock were falling down, but the Lord was not in the wind.
1: Then God sent fire from heaven, but God
0: was not in the fire. And then it says that Elijah heard a still, small voice. And that's where God was. That was the Lord speaking. Sometimes in being still before God, we simply need to be quiet so we can actually hear the voice of God. Let me read to you a story. A gentleman's name is Ken Jones. And Ken walked into his office one day and he saw this ground dessert plate kind of thing plugged into the wall. And it was creating this noise. And he asked the the uh, receptionist about that, wondering, you know, what in the world is this thing? And she said, it's an ambient noise generator. She said they got it because uh, it creates and generates a noise. So if it's totally quiet in the office, you can't hear the discussions or you can't hear the counseling taking place in the offices around there. So this would create a noise in order to, so you could not hear uh, the conversations that were, were taking place so that they could protect your privacy. And her explanation made per- perfect sense to Ken Jones, uh, but it didn't have to be louder to mask the conversations. And she said, well, no, the constancy of the sound tricks the ear so that what is being said can't be distinguished. In other words, you might be able to hear it, but you don't understand what they're saying because your ear has been tricked to focus on that noise instead." said, and the, Ken said, well, interesting, very interesting. One kind of noise to cover the sound of another. And he said, it it made me think and pray this. Listen to this prayer he wrote. He said, no wonder, Lord, no wonder I strain to hear what you have to say to me. The constancy of sound, the little noises, soft, inward, ambient thoughts and fears and attitudes, trick the ears of my inner man and masks your still, small voice. You see, it's not that God is silent. It's that we have trouble hearing. Sometimes we need to stop, get into a place of solitude, stay there without the distractions, and absolutely be quiet. The great preacher G. Campbell Morgan said, the secret of the confidence is consciousness of the nearness of God. The secret of the confidence is the consciousness of the nearness of God. The sons of Korah said, We will not fear. You don't have to fear. God has it all covered. Worst case scenario, He's got it all covered. He invites us to see what's coming and rejoice in what He's doing, and He directs us that we need to just stay calm because He wins. Just be still, be calm. Yes. There are many reasons to fear, but you know there's a lot more reason not to fear, because God is God. We can rely on Him because of who He is and what He's done. You can live courageously. You can live confidently. You can live humbly. You can live expectantly, knowing that He is our refuge, our strength, and our help. I want to read to you uh, a passage from the song that I mentioned earlier. A mighty fortress is our God. Martin Luther wrote this. And he wrote it in reference to Psalm 46. Listen to this. Many of you know this song already. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Does ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth is his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. The kingdom is forever. His kingdom is forever. In other words, I will be exalted, God says, in the nations and in the earth. I, men, be still and know that I'm God. You know, God is a mighty fortress. He is a refuge. He is a strength. He is our help at a very present time of need. But you know, he is that for people who know him. He is that refuge and that strength and that help. And we don't have to fear because we know Christ is our Savior. He is our mighty fortress because we know Christ is our Savior. How about you? Do you know Christ is your Savior? Scripture is very clear. There's only one way to heaven. It's through putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture says that we need to believe on him, believe that Jesus is Lord, and believe uh, that God has raised him from the dead. Jesus gave his life on the cross so he could be our strength and our help. He gave his life on the cross so he could be our refuge in our life. He gave his life on the cross so that you could have forgiveness of sins and receive him as Savior and have a home in heaven. Have you ever had a time in your life where you asked Christ to save you? You could do that right now. Maybe you're living in fear and you don't know where to turn. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is a very present help in trouble we will not fear. You could call out to him right now just the quietness of your own living room or in your bedroom or wherever you are. You just call out to him right now in prayer to say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I believe that Jesus can save me. I believe that Jesus can forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. I believe that he can Prepare for me a home in heaven and that he can save me. So, God, as best as I know how, please come into my life and save me. I turn from my sin, God, and I turn to you. I put my faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name. You know, if you pray and ask Christ to save you, I want you to do me a huge favor. I want you to write a comment on our Facebook page. I want you to give us a note. I want you to tell us. The decision you've made for Christ. Or maybe you could go to our webpage, cdcbrand.org, and just write in the contact section there and let us know about your decision for Christ. And and Christians, you know, maybe this message encouraged you, maybe the word of God encouraged you today. Say, you know what, I don't have to live in fear. I can make God my refuge, my strength and my help. Maybe that was a, a word of encouragement for you today. We want to hear from you too. We're so thankful that you joined us today. We pray that God blesses you until we meet again and pray God's blessings on you and your family. Lord bless you.